Now that Phoenix has national was taking their licks. Oh, it's by far the Clippers. Though now, albeit without Kristaps Porzingis and that injury he suffered, though in get over the playoff hump, you're able to knock him. Oh my goodness! Here we go again, and I think you need your best guy out there again with Jazz upper brass for this house of COVID. He covering up his eye after he's a home. That guys is the great 25 years. Finally, for one game. But John Morant is the truth. I am telling you, my fellas. Back in the saddle again, folks. After as mentioned, that 130, 140, 150, 160 day time away from MI6. We are grateful, folks, to be back with you here and back talking sports on your favorite on your tuesday nights and inside of the mi6 sports network welcome in folks to the sports lounge talking all things sports from the local and national level and plenty of other great things going on here folks on the mi6 sports network as usual yours truly cal mcclurg back with you here inside of the home studios in san diego hopefully folks had a tremendous tuesday evening sorry we had to push the show back uh to the uh, top of the hours opposed to eight o'clock in the evening but uh just some stuff having to be taken care of here at the house on this uh, Tuesday evening, and it's also June 1st, 2021. Of course, folks, here with you for the next hour and a half up until 10.30 this evening on this Tuesday night. As usual, folks, fire away with your questions, your comments, or your concerns throughout the course of our program tonight. We'll do our absolute best to make sure that your thoughts are read and heard live on the air as our time goes on here this evening. But again, folks, as a reminder, find us across your favorite social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, follow us as well via your podcast app. Again, all of our podcast episodes are posted via the Anchor Podcast app. Find us via Apple, Spotify, you name it. And of course, as well, folks, we invite you to check out our great friends too over at the Coast to Coast Entertainment Network. Find them on the web by searching Coast to Coast Entertainment on your favorite social media platforms, as you folks may have known, but myself and Isaiah LeYoung were over watching or actually were helping out with a couple of our great guys from uh, Coast to Coast today talking some baseball on our program over on C2C earlier on Tuesday. And also, folks, as a reminder as well, but coming up uh, two weeks from tonight, again, folks, Haley Skimura from the USA Women's National Team will join us at 8 o'clock p.m. Again, Haley will drop by and give us her perspective on her career. Of course, her dad, Peter, playing for the Washington Capitals back in the day. And, of course, talk about her career playing through college, the pros, and obviously her time right now playing with Team USA and also with the PWHPA, uh, trying their best to get a, sustain a, a sustainable league for all women's hockey players. That'll come up again, folks, in two weeks' time, coming up, as mentioned, on June 15th, right here on the MI6 Sports Network. And, of course, via your podcast app and also via the MI6 YouTube channel, which again, folks, go and subscribe to that as well. As you may know, again, we've been putting out some small clips or some uh, short clips from each program. We're doing our best to do that. We'll have some, of course, here from our uh, episode here tonight and plenty more great things. And again, as we've also said, though, but be sure you, uh, you folks check out our friends as well over at the Coast to Coast Entertainment Network. Again, uh, Jason, Adam, uh, Sarge, and the cast and crew over there doing wonderful things. Uh, with their programming. And again, you'll be seeing plenty of us, uh, plenty of intertwining going on between uh, our network and their network and stuff like that. And plenty more great things as this partnership does in fact begin uh, between Coast to Coast and the MI6 Sports Network. So again, folks, uh, go and check out our great friends again over at Coast to Coast. And again, also 
uh, help uh, spread the word about um, about our um, platform as well. And again, we'll have plenty about that. And of course, uh, we'll keep you posted as well when in fact we do in fact do those crossover episodes as time does in fact move on. With that, folks, we'll dive into our sports coverage and go into our first segment. It's time now to open up a tab. I want to start tonight, folks, on the opening tab segment here, talking about probably one of the hottest uh, sports topics right now going on in the world of sports. That, of course, folks, is the very uh, somewhat surprising, somewhat stunning, and perhaps somewhat shocking news, though, of Naomi Osaka electing to uh, withdraw from the French Open, citing her current mental health state right now. And, of course, this has drawn, I think, the spotlight in both a great way uh, and perhaps a bad way in some people's minds, though. But however, though, folks, many Grand Slam tennis leaders are now, in fact, urging the French Open to address uh, her concerns. And also, uh, they pledge to address Naomi Osoka's concerns about the player's mental health and mental well-being. The leaders of all four Grand Slam tennis tournaments reacted on Tuesday to Naomi Osoka's stunning withdrawal from the French Open by promising to address all players' concerns about mental health. The pledges come in light and via a statement signed by the same four administrators who threatened the possibility of disqualification or even suspending Naomi on Sunday if she continued to skip out on mandatory media availability. The four-time major champion and number two ranked player was fined $15,000 when she elected not to speak to reporters after her first round victory at Roland Garros on Sunday. The next day, Osaka elected, uh, Osaka elected to pull out of the tournament entirely, saying on social media via a note that she ex experiences high waves of anxiety before meeting with the media and revealing she has suffered long bouts of depression, signing as early as the 2018 U.S. Open. The 23-year-old who was born in Japan and moved to the U.S. with her family at age three said she would, quote-unquote, take some time away from the court now, but when the time is right, I really want to work with the tour to discuss ways we can make things better for the players, the press, and for the fans, close quote. Tennis players are required to attend news conferences if they uh, request if requested to do so. Grand Slam rules, though, do apply or allow for uh, fines up to $20,000 if they are a no-show to those uh, media availability sessions. Part of Tuesday's statement from those in charge of the French Open, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and the Australian Open said in part, quote, unquote, on behalf of the Grand Slams, we wish to offer Naomi Osaka our support and assistance in any possible way as she takes time away from the court. She is an exceptional athlete, and we look forward to her return as soon as she deems appropriate. Mental health is a very challenging issue, which deserves our utmost attention. It is both complex and personal, as what affects one individual does not necessarily affect another. We, co uh, we commend Naomi for sharing in her own words the pressures and anxieties she is feeling, and we uh, also... Um, um, empathize with the unique uh, pressures tennis players may face, close quote. Via a separate statement issued on Tuesday that the AP via email, International Tennis Federation uh, official Heather Boiler said that the sport is, quote unquote, reviewing what needs to evolve after uh, Naomi shone a light on mental health issues, close quote. Also, various players, including Serena Williams, offered support for Osaka and praised her, uh, uh, praised her for being forthcoming in her statement via social media on Tuesday. Plenty of other folks uh, have also chimed in on this as well, including Gail uh, Monfils at 34, who also won on Tuesday in Paris, said he could relate to Osaka's concerns to an extent. Uh, he was also quoted as giving his thoughts as well. Per ESPN sources, the Women's Tennis Association uh, told ESPN it cannot, be, uh, cannot comment on the situation 
But it did state, though, that it has provided staff dedicated to the mental health of WTA athletes for more than 20 years, including a mental health care provider in person at tournaments and telehealth sessions between tournaments upon requests. Folks, I believe this is a bit of a slippery slope here. And it's not because of Naomi Osaka withdrawing from this tournament. It is in wake, though, folks, of what has become a very dire situation, along with, you know, other things that have been haunting and have been grabbing at people throughout not just the pandemic, but, but pre-COVID times, though, of anxiety, depression. You know, maybe they're not comfortable with public speaking. They have some stuff like that. And I really wish, though, and I know that teams do their best to somewhat, you know, I know that I read in the media guides with certain teams that, you know, we have a 15-minute, 30-minute mandatory cool-down period following a game. So, you know, we're not going to open up the locker rooms right, uh, right away when the match is over, the game's over. But I think, though, folks, especially nowadays, where mental health for a long time was never talked about, it you know, it, it's, it was never talked about, never was talked about, never, you know, you, you, would, you would never touch it, basically. But I think with the growing number of athletes, you know, men, women, uh, across the board with athletes, that they are making their mental health a major, major talking point. And folks, I can relate to this on a personal level myself. I, I'm sure you folks have uh, know about this, maybe not, though. And I kept this private for a majority of my life. Only a small number of people knew this. But throughout the course of my lifetime, I never told anybody, except for those that knew me well, you know, other than my folks and some close friends, that I myself had mental problems, you know, some small uh, mental hurdles in my lifetime, uh, barring this thing called Hidden Vision. I invite you to, again, go and uh, check it out called Hidden Vision, where, you know, I wasn't able to really, you know, concentrate on, you know, during the course of, of, of classes at school. I would have to be up front and, uh, you know, very up, uh, up close in the classroom, and I would have to you know, basically I, I would have trouble going from writing something down from the whiteboard back down to the paper and math is not my forte. And I would have, you know, hissy fits. I would, you know, pull the hair out of my scalp. I'd be so frustrated and it would take a toll on my mental, uh, on me mentally because I could never like get stuff right. I could never write stuff down the right way. I would lose my place when reading as I do. And I never opened up to people about that. And I thought, you know, that this burden kind of was on my back and I wanted to finally get, you know, get over it. But in this case here, though, folks, is I know for a fact in my 12 years in the in sports media, I have a job to do, though. At the same time, though, there's certain topics and questions you don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole in the industry. I don't want to sound like I'm the guy that knows everything. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there to you folks. And that I see, though, why athletes have some problems sometimes with certain outlets, certain writers, certain broadcasters, or certain, you know, or just certain, you know, things in general, because we know that sometimes that those headlines can be, you know, wrung out like a washcloth and perhaps, you know, taken the wrong way, though. But even though that Naomi Osaka is saying, you know what, I need a break from this, I don't see how you can't support an athlete for saying, you know, I can't do this right now. I mean, I, I know, of course, that there's money, you know, they have endorsements and stuff like this. And, you know, I've been reading some of the stuff back and forth, though. But I think that there's been a very great outpouring of positive support for Naomi Osaka, you know, with this move, though. And I get the fact, though, you know, that the NFL fines players for not talking to the media during the Super Bowl week. You know, Michael Jordan was always fine for not talking to the media during the All-Star Game festivities. And that tennis tournaments are also, you know, for, for me, it seems, though, I don't want to make this all about the tennis media. 
but that the tennis media to me has been a very, very, you know, rough, tough and gruff group of people to work with in regards to how, in fact, that, you know, Serena's had her issues. Uh, her sister's had her issues. Nadal's had issues. I'm sure Federer's had issues. Djokovic, that all the big names have had maybe their spats with, with tennis media. But I think, though, it's kind of maybe magnified a little bit, though, with this being the French Open and with this being, you know, one of the Grand Slam tournaments, though. But I think, though, folks, that as we have seen, though, so, you know, I, you know, I think recently, and I know that ESPN did a great job highlighting Mental Health Awareness Month, though, back in May, literally, you know, last month. And I think, though, that we have seen, though, folks, a great number of athletes do an amazing job of saying, hey, I'm just like you. I'm vulnerable. I suffer from depression, anxiety. You know, I'm ADHD. You know, I have this going on, that going on. And I think, though, in a time and place, though, folks, where we as a, where we as a society may not see eye to eye on certain subjects, though, I believe, though, that, that whenever some of this stuff comes out, though, a lot of people don't stoop to that that low level of, you know, oh, you know, you know I'm going to say this, you know, in wake of what happened with Dak Prescott, saying your mental health is not the best does not make you weak, does not make you inhuman, does not make you, you know, less than the common man, does not make you soft, does not make you weak, does not make you look like you should be frowned upon and kicked to the curb, that, that more so it should open up people's eyes. And maybe people can do some soul searching like, wow, you know, I went through a bad breakup, you know, two years ago. Wow. You know, I, I could have heard this, you know, advice maybe, you know, back then as opposed to now. Though I think it's a very, it's a great step forward though. And I think that more needs to be done though. I still think though that there needs to be more, more done though, much like what I believe I saw via a tweet from a producer of ESPN who said, you know, I'm a part of the media. I get that we want to give fans, you know, that access to, you know, the access to the viewers and that inside analysis and those interviews, though. But why do we always forget that athletes are human just like we are? And I think, though, folks, that Naomi Osaka, I think, is taking a major step forward in a positive way for her career. You know, I, I'm sure, of course, she'd love to be competing, though. But again, some people just aren't comfortable speaking in front of a audience. I think if, they have, if I have a great example for you folks, Ted Leitner, longtime Padre broadcaster who retired before the season began, though, Ted once told uh, Fox Sports San Diego, now Bally Sports San Diego, when he was in elementary school or, or in school, and they had to give a public or an oral report to the class, Ted would count the number of seats before they got to him, or if they're going alphabetically, and then he'd cut school because he was so afraid. I'm sure a lot of you out there are the same way, though, that you probably don't like getting in front of an audience or really, or, you know, that mentally, just like what Naomi said. It's, it's a hard thing to do. And then Ted said after that had basically gone on, though, that uh, when he started doing it, you know, he obviously enjoyed doing it when he began announcing games, though. And that he also said, though, and, and I think it's true, though, that more people, I think, fear public speaking more than they actually fear death. And there's the old Jerry Seinfeld line, though. So you mean to tell me you'd rather be in the coffin than give the eulogy? So I think, though, folks, give us your uh, give me your thoughts here. You know, I really want to hear your thoughts on this matter at hand. Again, folks, Naomi Osaka withdrawing from the French Open again, citing her mental health and wake, though, that $15,000 fine issued by the French Open and by the uh, board uh, due to the fact of her skipping out on the availability uh, for the media. And I think, though, folks, that this has been a very great rallying cry for a majority of the uh, you know, for majority of, of, I think, the tennis world, but also, I think, other athletes 
who have reached out to Naomi or said their piece. I think Kevin Love, folks, has been is the other guy or player, I think, in sports who has been so open about his mental health. It's beyond amazing seeing people say, to kind of get to that personal level, because I know that fans have their thoughts about, you know, athletes and about professional sports right now, but but they want to show that they are vulnerable, just like you and me, to certain things. But again, folks, love to hear your thoughts on that as our program is, in fact, go on with our uh, show here tonight. Over to the comment box first, I want to check in with, our, with my good guy, Isaiah Lee Young, who says, Cal, Devin Booker is a bad, bad man. Anybody that still does not believe he's a top 10 player, I don't know what to tell you. He also says that he is uh, super excited for the MI6 and Coast to Coast partnership. Definitely agree on that as well. Again, uh, nice to be able to jump on today with uh, Big B, uh, Sarge, and with uh, Chris today to talk some baseball with Isaiah and myself, and also a warm uh, welcome to the birthday boy. A good evening to Chris, to uh, Casey King. Case, happy birthday, my good guy. Hope to see you sometime soon, as in fact, uh, sports come back very, very shortly. But again, folks, uh, once more, again, give me your thoughts here again. Uh, on the matter at hand, your overall stance again, more so maybe about player and media relations in regards to Naomi Osaka electing to skip out of the French Open after winning her first round match, but again, citing her mental health and also being fined $15,000 for skipping out on that, uh, on the media, uh, media availability, uh, for the, uh, for the, uh, French Open. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that, folks, as our program does, in fact, move on here tonight. Some uh, tough injury news for both the Padres and the St. Louis Cardinals, but first it is the Cardinals who has had a bit of a rough stretch here with Jack Flaherty, one of their ace pitchers in the rotation, sent uh, to the uh, IL with a oblique strain, suffered at the plate nonetheless against the Dodgers on Monday night, but the Cardinals on Tuesday have placed right-hand pitcher Jack Flaherty on a 10-day IL with a left oblique strain that manager Mike Schilt termed or uh, termed a restrain slash a tear as he was reevaluated after leaving Monday's ball game with tightness on the right side or on that side on the left I should say excuse me. and he also hinted it wouldn't affect be a precautionary move after the Dodgers victory nine over the Cardinals on Monday Despite the exit early, Flaherty equaled his season high with nine strikeouts and walked one. The right-hander also gave up two runs and two hits against his favorite team while growing up in nearby Burbank, California. Schilt also said as well uh, that uh, the uh, uh, originally uh, concurred with his pitcher, saying uh, in his post-game availability on Monday that the decision was made more to just be safe and get it checked out. It turns out it was a bit more than that at this rate in its normal situation. But Flaherty, again, apparently hurt himself, though, uh, swinging the bat during that AB uh, on Monday night against the uh, Dodgers uh, up there at Dodger Stadium. You know, folks, I believe that this right here, sadly for me as a National League baseball fan, is um, is basically, this is, I think, the cries to bring the DH to the National League full-time, though, with Jack Flaherty hurting himself at the plate, swinging the bat. The night. Now, yes, Andrew Heaney of the Angels had a base hit in the Tuesday night game for the uh, Angels versus the Giants. But, folks, I do believe, though, it's becoming inevitable as more time goes on, though, and as this year finally does, in fact, end, that pitchers are not going to be hitting anymore, in, in my mind, in baseball. Though I hate to say that, say that as a National League baseball fan, though, but with the uptick of injuries with pitchers, the uptick with guys uh, being hurt or pitchers being hurt, though, at the plate, or more so this guy standing there taking strike one, strike two, strike three. 
2020, I think, was like the huge, like, big step forward for the universal DH to come to fruition, I truly believe. And I think that this year, while it couldn't be agreed upon, though, that's going to probably be, in my mind, folks, the really big deal breaker, in my mind, honestly. That will be the deal breaker for whether or not we get a baseball season next year, is if the National League, you know, after 150-plus years of playing baseball, will finally cave. They cave for one year because of it being part of that 60-game sprint, though. But will the National League, you know, you know, the old guard, the senior circuit of Major League Baseball, finally cave in to the junior circuit and cave into the AL and just say, you know what, we got to play this like college baseball. We got to have a DH rule in place. I believe if there's no universal DH, I don't count on there being a baseball season next year because I think that especially folks with Trevor Bauer kind of being the guy leading the charge with the Players Association right now, him and Max Scherzer, you know, here, you know, here, two of the biggest bona fide pitchers in the game are the two guys I believe in charge of the Major League Baseball Players Association. There is no way in my mind that those two guys, I think a lot of the other players would agree though, say they're probably going to say, look, in, in offseason meetings, look, if there's no DH, we're not going to play. I mean, I don't know how you folks as baseball fans feel out there, but I don't see though that they're, that they're going to have to probably scratch and claw and pull some teeth to get the DH rule full-time in the National League. I think that, that some fans, you know, that, you know, uh, fans like myself probably are saying, you know what, it's not real baseball. Keep the pitcher in the nine spot or keep him in the lineup. I mean, I, for one, have, you know, I, I think this is probably the more, I think, not really controversial, but I think more of like you get like a fair balance of people who are for the DH being in baseball universally and those like myself who are, you know, old school in a way of, you know, keep the game like it is. I know, of course, I'm, you know, I, I know, of course, I advocate, though, for guys to show the emotion and, you know, stuff like that and celebrate and show off the swag. But I think, though, that I think, though, as more time goes on, though, I don't think that the that the uh, to me, though, it seems to me that the National League is not going to cave. And I really think, though, that Rob Manfred may have to put his foot down. Perhaps. No, he's not the be, you know, the sharpest tool in the shed, though. But folks, give me your thoughts here. Is it inevitable that the 2022 baseball season will basically, in your mind, solely hinge, solely hinge on baseball going the route of the universal DH? I think there's more pressing issues than just the DH rule right now. I don't want to keep this runner on second base rule for the rest of my time watching regular season baseball. Yeah, I, I get it about, you know, it's still somewhat of a, you know, post-COVID world, though. But, you know, Rob Manfred can only use the pace of play excuse so many times in the course of a season. I get, you know, I'm totally for the entire, you know, pace of play thing. But at the same time, though, baseball has got to stop watering down the product. That is why it, it's not because of, uh, of the old guard saying, you know, get off my lawn, don't celebrate. It's about, the, you know, the true diehard baseball fans, you know, like me like Casey, like James, like Adam, like Isaiah. You know, we can go to a ball game, folks, you know, enjoy food, have some beer, and sit there and sit through a two-hour game, a three-hour game, a four-and-a-half-hour game, or a 22-inning marathon and still be thoroughly invested in that ball game. I get the fact, though, that a lot of the younger viewers out there in the demographics are saying, oh, my goodness, baseball games are too long. You're, you know, you are you know, losing, you know, the 18 to 25 year olds, you're losing the high school kids, you're losing the elementary school kids, you're losing the college kids who just want to go and drink and have fun. I'm aware of that. But we don't have to water down the game 
to make baseball go faster or to make baseball applicable or make baseball feasible. That's why there's football, there's basketball, there's soccer, there's hockey, there's lacrosse, there's there's other sports out there. But I think that, especially though in a game like baseball where there's no time limit, you know, it's nine innings. It could go an hour and a half, two hours, 2.30, three hours, three and a half, four, five, six, eight hours for all that I care. You know, you got to play till the game's actually over, you know, and and I get the fact, though, as I've said, though, about, you know, maybe that the viewers, you know, viewership's down because of the all-star game controversy, uh, you know, snafu this year with Atlanta and then Denver. You know, the games are too long and stuff like that, though. But if anything is apparent here, folks, this might be the one that I say has got to go. You got to regulate the shift. It's either one time per inning you shift. Or you just say, you got to play regular defense. If guys, you know, if guys find hits or if they hit the ball through the hole, that's a base hit. You know, I was watching the Angel Giant game on Tuesday night on MLB Network. It was the clubhouse edition with like Steven Nelson, Mark DeRosa, uh, CeCe Sabathia. And CeCe had a great point, though. I I believe it was, uh, I want to say it was Posey or someone on the Giants hit a scolding ground ball through the right side. But yet the Angel second baseman, David Fletcher, is halfway between the right fielder and the freaking end of the of the infield dirt, making the grab and throwing him out at first base for an out. And CC said very well, I think, though. He said it very best, though. That's a base hit. You know, that's the only thing I think that baseball's got to clamp down on. You can't be shifting and doing all this stuff. You know, that's what I think, though, folks, is driving people away. It's not the pace, it's not pace of play. It's the fact that it, that we literally can park. Every one of our infielders on the right side of the plate against Eric Hosmer, and he grounds out because he always goes that way, but you have all five of your guys over there because guys don't either pull the ball or they don't go the other way. I get that. But that's where I think, though, is where the viewership goes down because it's a surefire base hit, yeah. But no, you've got two guys on that side, though. I mean, I, for one, know it benefits both teams. It benefits the Padres every so often. It benefits the Cubs or the Dodgers or the Braves or the A's. But that's what I think more so is killing baseball. It's not about, you know, the pace of play. It's not about games being too long or stuff like that. I just don't buy the shift narrative. You can probably pinch the middle on a double play ball, perhaps, or stuff like that. But you don't put guys like it's softball and you're having a rover out there playing beer league softball at a local sports complex. It's not what baseball is supposed to be. That's what I think is further watering down the game. It's, It's not the pace of play. What's watering, down the, what's watering down the ball game is all these shifts. I, I get that they're used because of, you know, oh, oh my goodness, you know, the iPad says, you know, that Machado's hitting everything to the right side, or oh my goodness, Cowan's hitting every ball to the left side. I mean, I totally get that, but you got to play defense still. You can't just make it so easy, you know, to, to get guys out. I mean, I know it's all, all you know, that's all of in the, in the game's DNA though, but not nowadays. Uh, again, folks, give me your thoughts here once more, but again, Jack Flaherty, uh, not to get sidetracked though, Jack Flaherty, Placed on the I.O. with the Cardinals due to, again, a uh, suffered oblique strain at the hands of being at the plate per National League rules and uh, stuff of that nature. Plenty of thoughts real quick. uh, Rolling in still uh, at this rate and at this point in time. Uh, Casey for the rides on that, man, the Lakers have gone Higgins Mona without Anthony Davis. LeBron can't win without him and vice versa. It is not looking good for the Lakers as they are getting absolutely clobbered at Phoenix Suns Arena in PHX. James Gonzalez writes and he says, Cal, good evening, buddy, but also you have to do your job as an athlete. You can suffer the consequences if not, but hopefully everyone can see she is not comfortable. 
And I think, though, James, that's why I think now, you know, of course, once she leaves the tournament, oh, now we'll change our policy. You know, this reminds me so much, James, of our good man, Isaiah LeYoung, changing the playoff rules for our fantasy football this year to let him get in because he was not going to make the playoffs this year. I mean, I, I don't get that. You know, once someone leaves, though, or once this happens, now you change the rules? No, thanks. I mean, I get that they're not comfortable. But, I mean, maybe perhaps if she could have pulled off a Marshawn Lynch, you know, I'm, I'm just here so I don't get fined. That may have perhaps been better. But, again, I, I get where she's coming from, though. I know you have to do your job as a pro, though, athlete or as a media member. But if they're not comfortable, I say you don't do it. I mean, that, that may be soft or ludicrous in your mind, though. But I just really think, though, if, if – if, if, this goes back, though, James, to that old antidote of let of let your game do the talking. That's what I think more so is what uh, Naomi did before the whole fun and the whole thing happened, though, was, you know, I don't need to talk to you guys. Watch my game. Let that speak for you. And you can write that and take that to the bank, as my man Dave Fisdale would say. And James also says, Cal, they've got to use uh, they need that universal DH ASAP. They definitely need to. And I think that more so, James, that it's coming to light now. And I think it's going to come to light a bit more, though, though I've denied it for a long time, sadly, uh, because, you know, that, you know, it's part of the game. You know, AO guys have got to go in and hit. But I think that with the the uh, the concerns, though, of pitchers being hurt, though, uh, because of a flirty situation, I think it was Adam Wainwright who I think either fractured his leg or did some major damage because he fouled the ball off his foot, I think, and I think it was his plant foot. That's what I think can't happen for Major League Baseball in my mind. Casey King also says, Cal, I believe we're going to be getting a lockout. Manfred is a problem and way negotiations went during the pandemic. I see this becoming a very ugly situation. I cannot agree more, Case. This has probably been the rockiest time for baseball. Um, probably I'd say, I don't know, Case. I wasn't alive. I wasn't, I was barely three months old, I think, when the when baseball had the last strike in 94. Um, I don't know if it'll be worse than 94, but it could be pretty close because I think that the DH rule has a lot of weight. It's probably going to be the most heated debate topic when in fact that the uh, labor unions do in fact meet. My good man, Adam Barber from Coast to Coast writes and he says, Callan, I'm a Braves fan. And I love the DH rule. It needs to be the same in both leagues. I think Adam, it's inevitable, but again, Will these National League ball clubs, for example, like the Braves, who've been around for 150-plus years, will they finally cave? They cave for one year, but will they cave for a second time, though? It's like the whole, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. I don't, I, I, I don't see this going through. I, I don't think that franchises like the Braves, like the Cubs, like the Dodgers, the Giants, you know, the teams who've been around for forever— Especially the Reds, who've been around since 1876 when baseball first started for playing pro, uh, playing uh, Major League Baseball. I I don't see this being I, I see this being a deal breaker. I don't see this coming to pass at this rate. So we'll see how things go. But Adam, I agree though. I'm leaning more that way, but I, I still just don't see it coming to fruition, my man. I think it's still going to remain the same though uh, at this rate. Uh, Casey also says I hate the DH, but I could accept it. But please, no more seven inning double headers and no second base rule. Both are stupid. Casey, I'm going to slightly disagree with you about the double headers. Something in my mind has been brewing all season that double headers will become a part of the schedule, perhaps, to make up that lost in stadium revenue. Because let me remind you folks that the Padres play the Angels in late August. Friday and Saturday, there's an off day on Sunday. 
something for some reason that weekend has kind of barked at me that they're going to go back to the schedule, for example, 1998, where the Padres, I believe back then, played doubleheaders every so often each month. They played one doubleheader every month with a certain opponent. That was also, again, though, back at the time, though, where teams would go to uh, would go and uh, would go and uh, would, would go and play the conference of the uh, other league opponents twice. They would go to Chicago twice, New York twice. They'd make those two trips out uh, further away from the division two times each year. But I believe that doubleheaders become a thing pretty soon, though. But I think, but to make up the lost ground with the revenue that's been lost because of of, of attendance, I personally like the seven inning, seven inning doubleheaders because. I know it's it's not you know a full blown nine, but it adds a bit of drama because you don't have those two extra you know you don't have innings eight and nine to to to, to come back. You got to get it done you know innings four five and six and then into the seventh. So it kind of adds a bit of intrigue. You know though I hate the, the runner on second base rule as well, my man. That adds a, a bit of intrigue though, but again it's not the best. And and Adam I think has a great point here. After the twelfth inning is when you should go and add the runner on second base. I like that idea a lot better. Play inning 10 and 11 all the way through and then go the runner on second base, maybe even after the 13th, perhaps, or whatever. And Casey says that, uh, Casey uh, also says that Rob Manfred needs to go. He is the worst commissioner of all five or of uh, all four major sports. I would also throw in uh, MLS and, and the WNBA was so six of them. He's below everybody else. I mean, he makes Gary Bettman look like he's the best guy out there. And of course, Gary did a great job, though, uh, with the uh, bubble last year for the NHL. And Adam also says, but yet though, Callan, fans can watch a four overtime NBA game because Adam, there's a clock in basketball. There's no clock in baseball. Uh, Adam says, Callan, I will disagree with you. I used to play shortstop and I loved the shift. You know, Adam, I, I played second. I played short. I played first. We never did the drastic shifts of playing, you know, putting you in, in left field or me right behind the second base bag though. So I, I I don't buy the whole thing though. I know there I, I get it, but no, I I'm not a fan though of it because I think though if you if you really want to you know moan and whine about viewership for baseball going down, the reason being is the shift. It's not because the games are three and a half hours long. James, I agree with you, buddy, that the pros need to learn though how to beat the shifts. I get that, but James at the same time though, when you have former players like CC Sabathia and Gary Sheffield either not watching baseball or they're criticizing the shift. There's problems on your hands here. I know that that things won't change, though, but one could at least uh, hope for the best, though. James further adds on. Uh, tennis is one of those games, though, where you can't break its tradition rule, uh, traditional rules just like golf. I mean, you know, golf and tennis are two of the ones that hang on a tradition so, so much. I agree with you, James, a lot. James further adds on. I'm cherishing this season because I'm weary of next season happening and also that MLB has to keep innovating its game. I mean, you can only market your stars so much. I know that Rob Manfred is, uh, that's probably, that I think though, James, has been the main issue I have though with baseball is still all this bias on national TV. I, I need to rant a little bit here about, about this. The San Diego Padres, who I have called, I'm, beyond, my, beyond me living in San Diego and being a Padre fan, the Padres are the most exciting team in baseball, whether you like it or not, whether you like it or not, folks. They get two games on national television. I know about FS1. I know about MLB Network. But two games, two games on Fox and ESPN. And they both came and went in April and May. I know they have another game coming up in June. 
three games with probably the face of baseball. I know he got hurt tonight, but three games with the most exciting, most fun team in Major League Baseball. They get three games on national TV. I know they're competing against the Dodgers and the Angels and the Giants and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs and the White Sox. But that's where my gripe is more so, is that if we, if we want the game to grow, James, and to innovate it, you have got to give these star players airtime, like a Juan Soto, like a Mercedes, like a Tatis Jr. You know, them just, you know, just shoving them to MLB Network or to FS1 or to, you know, whatever, you know, to ESPN+, Plus. that's not helping growing the game. That's not reinventing or re-innovating the game, though. You've got to get the faces of baseball, whether people like these guys or not, onto the national stage, on ESPN, on Fox, or on FS1. That's where more so the gripe for me is, though, and that, you know, Rob Manfred, and that baseball's got to do a better job of getting these guys airtime, especially, though, when you have the Padres, Giants, and Dodgers, all three teams right now, a half game or a game within each other right now. How do you not put the Padres, on, you know, on national TV? And again, folks, this is not biased with me saying this, though, but I think if you are a casual baseball fan out there, you know, you know, casual fan out there, maybe a borderline baseball fan, and you've heard about Fernando Tatis, you know, but you don't live in San Diego. How are you supposed to know, though, about what this kid's all about, though, when he can't watch him play on national TV because, oh, we got to put the Yankees on. We got to put the Red Sox on. We've got to put the Cubs on. We got to put the Dodgers on. Got to put the Giants on. I don't get this narrative, though, of the star players like Tatis Jr., you know, like Moncada, like Mercedes, you know, like Juan Soto. You know, why are these guys not being shown on national TV? That That's more so the gripe for me at this rate and at this point in time, though. James also says that I love the seven-inning doubleheaders. I think, James, it goes back to my point, though, as well, though, that maybe that doubleheaders become a scheduling thing. I, and I think as well, though, that maybe even next season, that they're going to be used, though, as safety nets, though, especially in April, May, uh, October, maybe, or even September because of the weather, that maybe doubleheaders become part of the schedule just because of the weather back east in April and in parts of May, even in June with some rain still going on. So we'll see how things go. James further adds on, Tony Gwynn Sr. would have loved beating the shift. I even think, James, if they even did that nowadays, he'd still find a way to get on base, regardless of what happens. And James further adds on, man, oh man, ESPN was drooling over Yadier Molina in that Sunday night game versus the Padres. You know, James, they did the same damn thing during the playoffs last year. And who won the series? Sorry. Adam also says, yet they put the Pirates and Orioles on ESPN. I believe, though, Adam, it was the Pirates and Royals they put on, on Wednesday night on uh, baseball last night, though. Again, I don't get it, Adam. I mean, I, I know that the Braves, uh, I mean, I love when the Braves come on, though, because I love, because, you know, the Braves and Padres, to me, are similar. They're two very stud players, you know, or stud teams, though, you know, with Swanson, Acuna Jr. You know, I think you and I share the same sentiments, sentiments though, uh, uh, A.B., that I'd love to see the Bra you know, I love when the Braves come on because I can watch those guys play, though. But I do believe, though, Adam, that you'd like to see the Padres play more often on national TV because I think that you're, that much like other baseball fans, you're pro you probably stop doing what you're doing to watch Fernando Tatis Jr. take his at-bats and what he does, though, and what he might do next, though. So I, I think you and I share the same sentiments, though. Again, I don't get that matchup right there. You know, Baltimore and stuff like that, and things of that caliber. But I, again, I don't get it. I really don't get it. James also says, I miss having the 1 o'clock p.m. Fox Saturday games and league 
being showcased for, I, I think more so James, James, I don't know about this. James, has it seemed to you more so that mainly ever since the Angels signed that 20-year contract with Fox, when they signed Albert Pujols, that certain teams who have a Fox, now a Bally Sports affiliate, seem to get more airtime on Fox, you know, on KT, uh, uh, on uh, Fox 11 or on Fox 5 or on your Fox provider. Uh, you know, let me know, folks. I kind of feel like, though, that if teams have had renewed contracts with Fox, uh, with regular Fox, not Bally Sports and the RSNs, that it kind of seems like though they kind of get on Fox a bit more often than they probably should. Again, I don't know how to feel about that, but who knows what it is. Uh, James says, well, at least though that MLB.TV has its highest viewership ever, so that's positive. I still, though, James, have said this, though. Sports has got to get rid of these ludicrous and stupid blackout rules. James, there is no telling my man how many times I'd love to watch the Angels play a game on Bally Sports West when the Padres are off, but yet because of the how the contracts work, and oh my goodness, you live in San Diego, yeah, you can watch the Ducks and Clippers, but you can't watch the Angel games. I get that, you know, I get that that you know, the exclusivity of the RSNs, though. But come on now, I'd like to watch the Angels, you know, and listen to Darren Sutton or Matty V and Mark Gubiza and Jose Moda and the cast and crew on Bally Sports West. But I, you know, I, that's the thing, though, I think that kills sports, though, is these blackout rules. There's no telling for my women's basketball fans out there who know of a struggle here. There's no telling how difficult it is to watch WNBA games via the WNBA League Pass app because you could be living in San Diego like I do. And, you know, you want to watch the Sparks play or watch the Mercury or the Aces play. But because you live in Southern California, you're blacked out on Bally Sports Arizona and even on uh, on on uh, uh, on the uh, station in Vegas, though. So, again, I, I think that blackout rules have got to go. So we'll see how things happen. Adam also says, but the parts of a young player in Adam Frazier, that bats lead off. That looks promising. True point there as well. Casey further adds on. Callan, I, I miss the old days of Saturday night NBC games. With a 10 a.m. game and a 1 p.m. game, and I missed the ABC Monday night game of the week as well. Much better coverage. Sorry, uh, sadly, case that was far beyond my time, so I really can't speak for that though about ABC and NBC. Casey further adds on that I hate this uh, that Fox has these four o'clock start times. I, you know, I, I agree with that. I think when the Dodgers played in Houston, that was horrible. I mean, just watching that game on when they were in Houston. And he literally had the sun setting in left field directly in the eyes of Max Muncie at the plate. That's a hazard right there. I mean, you can say what you want, folks, about that. You know, it's you're a pro, get over it. But, I mean, you know, these start times are not, you know, that Saturday start time is not very ideal in that, in that time frame. And uh, James also says, I've been watching the White Sox more than ever because of their talent and their TV crew. Jason, uh, Jason Bietti, I believe, is calling uh, games now on NBC Sports Chicago. James says that, uh, uh, so uh, Callan, a quick heads up. The Angels have not been on Fox 11 much. It's always the Yanks, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, and the Cubbies. And he says that, yes, the blackout rules have got to go. I definitely agree with that at this point in time. Because, again, that's what I believe, folks, is what is further hurting baseball, is that you have all these ludicrous rules in place about what you can, in fact, have and what you can and can't watch. James also says, I hate the 4 p.m. starts, too with the shadows still hanging over the infield. And definitely, I think, you know, for Padre games, it gets really bad. Uh, the one o'clock game times that are played, you know, I, I still like 1240 for a game time because you don't have the shadows fully engulfing the infield yet at Petco. 
But again, I, I don't get the logic uh, behind uh, those four o'clock start times. I know, of course, it's about the entire, you know, uh, you know, the ratings and stuff like that. But I, I again, don't buy it. Some other small injury news, folks. The Padres announced today uh, that Fernando Tatis, Jr., uh, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. was pulled from tonight's game versus the Cubs after experiencing some tightness around his midsection. Padres manager uh, Jace Tingler said that his exit was more of a precautionary thing than anything else. You know, folks, uh, my dad uh, said it better tonight, though, about this, is that you kind of hope and pray, though, that this kid is not injury-prone. And so far, it's kind of been that way a bit. He had the uh, the uh, injured hand in Double A San Antonio uh, when he was just coming up to the minors. Uh, he had a shoulder issue. He had the uh, hamstring and the quad issues. And then, of course, he has the uh, COVID scare, plus, of course, now with this uh, being the uh, oblique issue. You know, people could, you know, I, I do have to say this to folks. The Padres, in my mind, have been extremely cautious over the course of this season. I have to give them a lot of props, though, because they they know they're in for a long haul this year. I think a lot of teams know it's a long haul now this year, and the Padres have not rushed anybody back. I know they've, uh, they have Trent Grisham coming back as early as Friday. They held Manny Machado out for a couple days because of his nagging shoulder, and now, of course, they're being very, very cautious again with Fernando Tatis Jr., and I think, though, folks, that at this rate, you got to do what you got to do. You know, this is a long haul. It is a marathon. It is a it is a marathon this year and not a sprint for uh, ball clubs in general this year. But I do think, though, that you kind of hope, though, for what this kid has done, folks. And again, I, I again, I'm, I'm not saying this as with this being bias or with me being a Padre fan, though. But for all the folks out there who are somewhat on the fence about baseball or or who are perhaps. Uh, a little bit lenient about, you know, uh, about the Padres and stuff like that, though. I do think, though, that you are probably concerned, though, anytime you hear that this kid goes out with an injury because of how much fun this kid is. And I know it's probably, you know, not the way to, you know, not the way to play the game nowadays with, you know, with all the antics and stuff, though. But like I have said, though, folks, in a time, though, where baseball is thirsty to get people to come back to the ballpark or tune in on TV or turn on the radio, this is your main reason why to watch. Again, this is not Padre fan bias or San Diego sports fan bias, but what this kid brings, though, locks you in to every, you know, to every plate appearance that he has and stuff like that at this rate. But again, folks, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. pulled out of today's game with the uh, Padres playing the Cubs, again, with a uh, precautionary reason due to some uh, potential oblique soreness or midsection uh, tightness suffered in tonight's ball game for the uh or for the Padre star shortstops at this rate. Uh Casey King further adds on so Cal, uh your thoughts here with major league teams going back to full capacity with uh, will team announcers be able to finally travel the games again soon? Casey I hope because Don Orsillo and uh, Don Orsillo and Jesse Agler have had a whale of a time trying to call games off these monitors and I shared my experience with you folks last Tuesday of me calling college basketball games off of a monitor, like a remote broadcast, basically. It's difficult. If you don't have the, you know, the camera angles are off, uh, maybe a delay between the feed going to you, and you really can't say a lot, but you can hear it, though, in the background. I would hope, though, because we got to get these guys back traveling on the road again because this is tough. And I think it's been tough, though, for, for any broadcast team to call these away games on the road and not be able to travel because of the restrictions in place and stuff like that. But I do think, though, Casey, when it's full capacity, that means full capacity in my mind. So I think that, that in fact, though, we will, in fact, see uh, announcers back uh, in the booth very, very shortly.
Over folks now to the NFL. Ben Roethlisberger says that taking the pay cut was necessary to keep the Steelers, uh, to help the Steelers sign top tier talent. With the disappointment of a first round exit uh, of a first round playoff loss to the Browns still fresh, Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger made the uh, in, uh, the uh, decision right away to return a Steelers quarterback for one more season. To do that, though, he recognized that his $41.25 million cap hit was uh, untenable, and he asked the front office to, to uh, and asked the front office for a pay cut so it could help uh, fill the roster uh, and fill the holes around him. Roethlisberger, at age 39, reduced his salary by $5 million and signed the new contract uh, that is set to void after the 2021 season. But even though, but in terms of the deal set to uh, seem to see, uh, seem though to set a expiration on his tenure as the quarterback. Roethlisberger wasn't willing to, spe uh, to speculate on his future at his press conference. You know, folks, I do believe, though, that this was smart. And I know, of course, that at this rate, though, that Pittsburgh, I know, was sort of a fluke last season. You know, they had this 11-0 start, though, and then they came apart, though, at the worst possible time, you know, losing those games and, of course, ultimately falling to the Browns, though, in very convincing fashion, too. And they lose that game, though, on their home field, though. That I think it's time, though, that the Steelers begin to kind of begin looking that way towards the future in regards to uh, finding that next quarterback. Now, now, is it going to be Mason Rudolph? Who is it, though? But I think, though, folks, smart move, though, by a savvy veteran quarterback to take that pay cut and say, let's go and kind of get this roster put back to snuff, though. But again, 39 years old, though, you know, the wear and tear of the injuries, though. I, I really wonder, though, folks, how, in fact, though, that Big Ben can come back, though, from this season again, you know, great, you know, great start though. But will Pittsburgh be able though to keep that momentum for an entire 18 week season now? If it's the same old Steelers like last season, it, to me, it says no. Again, you, you you can't start off that hot though and then play mediocre football over the course of the last several weeks of the season and kind of, you know, limp your way in and hope you kind of get hot at the right time though. But again, folks, uh, Big Ben uh, Roethlisberger says that the uh, pay cut uh, was, in fact, uh, his idea in uh, to aid the Steelers in putting that money somewhere else. And Isaiah Leung comes in to say that he agrees. I'm going to guess he agrees with either the pay cut or is it with uh, the team announcers being able to travel with their teams again and go on the road for the uh, baseball season. With that in mind, though, folks, some other news in football. But up north in the Canadian Football League, the longtime Edmonton Eskimos are no longer as the Edmonton CFL franchise has changed their name to the to the Edmonton Elks. Announced on Tuesday, Edmonton dropped its longtime name, the Eskimos, last year after a similar decision was made by the NFL's Washington football team amid pressure on franchises to eliminate their racist or eliminate stereotypical names. It had been called the Edmonton football team up until the announcement, but the logo continues to feature the two E's, which, of course, were synonymous with the Edmonton football franchise. Elks was chosen of seven potential names, including Evergreens, Evergreens, Eclipse, Eagles, and Elements. When the Edmonton football team did announce last year that it was discontinuing its name, team president Chris, uh, Chris Preston said it was the franchise's hope, though, to keep its double E logo and the green and gold colors. The decision also came following a review by the franchise after it had twice opted to maintain its current or uh, maintain its old moniker. Found it all the way 
1949 football team has won the Great Cup 14 times, second most of the Toronto Argonauts, who've won 17 times in CFL history. The community-owned club's uh, impressive history on the field includes a record of five straight championships from 1978 to 1982, having qualified for the postseason 34 straight seasons from 72 until 2005. You know, everybody, shouldn't be surprised here. You know, I think with the Washington football team, that the domino effect is just now starting. Again, with the uh, Indians in baseball, the Eskimos now in the CFL, should be no surprise for football fans. Perhaps coming out, though, as more time doesn't move on. But again, the CFL franchise drops Eskimos in favor of the Edmonton Elks starting for the 2021 Canadian Football League season. With that, folks, in mind, jumping ship over to the NBA, the L.A. Lakers absolutely plastered in this ballgame as they, in fact, do play this game without Anthony Davis. The Suns have shot, have, a, have a shined brightly and have taken a 3-2 lead, 115-85. The Suns absolutely obliterating the Lakers tonight, and they now take a three-games-to-two series lead. The Lakers, again, undone without Anthony Davis, LeBron James, 24 points. And no life preserver whatsoever. Four points for Markeith Morris. Seven for Andre Drummond. And no points for Contavious uh, Caldwell-Pope. And no points either for Dennis. While the Suns, though, were absolutely scorching in this ballgame. A 30-point piece for Devin Booker, who was running rampants and all over the place in the first quarter. And Michael Bridges had 13 points. While uh, Christian Payne added 16 off the bench, and as did Johnson who threw in 11 in the Suns, shot a staggering 45% from the field and were shooting at close to 60% from the field in the first half of this ballgame. Folks, this should not be a surprise here that the Lakers were absolutely dismantled because of no Anthony Davis. And it might be time, folks, to put the Lakers to bed, even with them going back to L.A. in Game 6, because if Davis does not play again, the Lakers are absolutely, in my mind, done especially if the Suns keep up this pace here. Now, again, could it translate, though, to another game? Who knows? But tonight, though, this was the Suns absolutely running the Lakers off the floor in a lackluster performance from LeBron James and that Laker ball club, again, getting blown out 115-85. And again, the Suns were, they could not be stopped, though, tonight in this ballgame. And frankly, if, if you're the Lakers, without Anthony Davis, there's no way right now that you're going to be able to stop the Suns in game six, especially if Booker is going early, if Paul's going early, if all that's going on early, the Lakers are in deep trouble. And I knew it was going to be, and I knew it was an uphill climb though, but my goodness though, a, you know, a colossal size loss for the Lakers in a 30 point uh, defeat tonight. Again, 115, 85 and the Suns again. Uh, now with that victory in the regular season showed why, showed why they only lost nine games at home in the regular season. But without Anthony Davis, folks, this Lakers ball club, they're they're done. You know, there is no way that I see that this ball club without uh, without uh, without AD, there's no way that the Lakers, in my mind, get over Game Six. Now, if Davis comes back, though, it might be a different story, though. But again, will Davis be on a minutes restriction? Will he have to, you know, ma mainly only, you know, stay down low and do stuff down in the paint? You know, will he be able to be as explosive? You know, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of red flags here, and I really don't see the Lakers having enough stamina, especially with them having to go through the play-in tournament. You know, how much energy 
does this Lakers ball club have left? You know, where's that health bar at? Like we're playing Mortal Kombat. Where is that health meter right now with their stamina? I think it's almost empty because I think if there's no Davis on uh, on, on Thursday, you know, the Lakers are going to bed. It's going to be over and they're going to be done in six games and the season will be over. But for the Suns, though, Devin Booker, stud performance, though, tonight, 30 points for, uh, for, for D-Book tonight. And mainly he was, you know, and again, though, Devin Booker did what I told the Lakers to do uh, over the course uh, of the uh, program uh, on the night shift. I told the Lakers, you got to, you know, just go down low, go down low. And Devin Booker did that instead. He went down and, and, and had his way and ones, floaters, jumpers, the three point shot. And now the Suns on the cusp now of knocking out the Lakers and uh, having us crown a new champion for another uh, somewhat of a of a uh, reduced COVID-19 season. Again, but the Suns plastered the Lakers 115-85. The Suns over the Lake Show tonight from Phoenix Suns Arena in Phoenix, Arizona. James does write in, though, saying that CP3 hurts and uh, gets uh, hurts his shoulder again. Christy Wilson says, I think that I think 80 not being a part of a of the Lakers during the series is proving to be very problematic. It's been that way, though, Christy, for the entire year, sadly. So it is what it is right now. Uh, Christian Ilton, good to see you, though, as well, uh, CI. He says, Cowan, do you believe if the Lakers don't win, even with the injuries, is it a failure of a season? Christian, before we go to break here, I'm going to say no. Reason I say it's, it's not a failure, though, with all the expectations, 72 game season, you know, much like what everyone wants to say about last year and the bubble and this and that, though, I'm not calling last season, uh, I'm, you know, for one, I'm, I'm not really calling last season a success for the Lakers, and nor do I want to call this year a failure because this wasn't, th these weren't two full 82 game seasons. I don't want to put my stock with this Lakers ball club based off of, you know, a 72-game reduced season this year and a very bizarre year last year. If you can get a full, you know, if we get a full, you know, obviously get a full season next year before we go to break here and get to the next couple of games here. Christian, I'm going to say it's not a failure this year. You know, that may, that may sound stupid to you out there, you know, like, what, a Laker fan not saying it's it's a failure? You know, I, I choose to be, you know, I choose to, look, I choose to look at things through a different set of eyes. I don't think that with, with what the Lakers had gone through this year, plus the condensed schedule, which also wasn't that much of a big deal, though. I don't see it a failure. You know, reboot and come back next season. I kind of feel like, though, that the Lakers should have done that, honestly, without LeBron and AD playing majority of the year, though. Was you know, Wait till next year. You know, who cares about the repeat? You know, I know that sounds stupid because, you know, wait a minute. You don't want LeBron and AD, you know. No. W with the health, with the, you know, unreal schedule, stuff like that, I, I don't see, I don't, I don't see, I really, truly, honestly, don't see it as a failure. James Gonzalez also says the Lakers are hoping that the Suns or that the Sun doesn't set on them. I'm going to guess pun intended there, Mr. Gonzalez. James further adds on LeBron got a score 50 plus, but he's uh, winded as well. And also James says that Cameron Payne played very well. He, he's been great off the bench so far before we go to break here. But again, folks, the Suns route the Lakers from Phoenix 115-85 Phoenix over the L.A. Lakers. Tonight from Phoenix Suns Arena down there in Phoenix, Arizona. With that, folks, a quick timeout when we come back. Two more NBA games and plenty more coverage here for the next half an hour here inside of a sports lounge. More to come momentarily.
Now that Phoenix has national was taking their licks. Oh, it's by far the Clippers. Though now, albeit without Kristaps Porzingis and that injury he suffered, though in get over the playoff hump, huh? you're able to knock him. Oh my goodness! Here we go again, and I think you need your best guy out there again with Jazz upper brass for this house of COVID. He's covering up his eye after he's a home. That guys is the great 25 years. Finally, for one game. But John Morant is the truth. I am telling you, my fellas. All right, folks, about half an hour left of showtime here. Back to the NBA scoreboard we go as the Brooklyn Nets have punched their tickets around two to face the Milwaukee Bucks. 123-109 Brooklyn clobbering Boston from Barclays Center tonight in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, but it's not without trying, though. Uh, Jason Tatum, hats off to Tatum for trying to hold down the fort for the Celtics. 32-point effort for uh, JT in the ballgame tonight. The Brooklyn Nets, though, again, another monstrous scoring night, though, for BKN. 34 for James Harden, 25 for Kyrie Irving, and 24 more for Kevin Durant, and 10 for Joe Harris, and also 10 off the uh, bench as well from Brown for the Nets as the uh, Nets move on to round two to face the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, folks, I got to give uh, credit to, to Boston. Again, you know, you're talking about going in there against the buzzsaw in the Brooklyn Nets, though. And again, like I said, though, folks, on the night shift on Sunday is how does a ball club out there try to stop this Brooklyn offense? Again, that starting five may, in fact, be the one who's destined to hoist Larry O'Brien this year. And I, I'll tell you what, folks, I got I, I do have to give some props, though. To the Celtics, you know, a team who, again, had to battle the way through their own playoff woes this year. And I think the folks that Jason Tatum, I know we don't give out moral victories or participation trophies, though. But Jason Tatum did all he could for the series, though. It's just a shame, though, that the Celtics didn't have, you know, Brown uh, with them or didn't have uh, anyone else around him or Kemba Walker. But some of the folks, Jason Tatum, I think, did all he could. It just wasn't enough, though, for the uh, Celtics to get to overcome Again, that very just, you know, unbelievably insane uh, Brooklyn Nets uh, offense. And again, that Brooklyn uh, shot the ball well. Again, they shot the ball at 51.2% from the field today in this game. And that Brooklyn, I think, though, okay, there's one series down, though. Now, though, I think it's a little bit intriguing, folks. And now we get the Nets and the Bucks. Now, again, we have Brooklyn again in that very high-octane offense. And, of course, Giannis Titicumpo, Chris Middleton, and the Bucks starting up shop, I believe, on Saturday. And while, folks, I've been very high on Milwaukee, I know I'm probably the only guy on the entire MI6 Sports Network uh, family of hosts here who thoroughly wants to see Milwaukee win. And I'm still going to, and, and I still feel that way, though. But this will be probably a Herculean task, though, for a team like Milwaukee to try to knock off this, you know, behemoth of a, of a, of a ball club right now in the Brooklyn Nets, though. But, you know, I'm going to probably pull a Leung here, pull an Isaiah Leung and probably stick, but I'm going to stick with my guns. Don't say that the Bucks win this thing in six or seven. But we'll have to probably take them stealing at least one, if not both, games of the series coming up in Brooklyn. Because I think that it's going to have to be, it, they're going to have to at least get one there. And I think, though, that while, of course, it's mainly Giannis with, with, the, uh, with the Bucks, though, again, like I've said, though, folks, I don't know if Brooklyn can keep this pace of scoring points 
going for a full series. And especially, I think, though, as James said, I think on Sunday, once you kind of get moving into the next round and the next round after, it's just like playing a video game. You know, you, you get through one, you know, you get through one level. Okay, now I have to get through the next, you know, one boss level, two boss levels, three boss levels. Like it's going to get harder and harder and harder. So you got through one level, but now, of course, now you have Milwaukee again. Clean sweep for the Bucks over Miami. Bit of some downtime. That maybe hurts Milwaukee uh, in game one of the series. I think it probably will, because again, when you have that time off, folks, it's hard to come back from that time off. And again, there's rust, there's this, there's that. And this probably, I think, benefits Brooklyn. They've been playing a bit. They're fresh. The Bucks have been kind of sitting around a little bit, though. Yeah, probably having practice, but again, no game action because they swept away their series. So Brooklyn, I think, though, again, this offense is scary. But again, can they continue, though, to keep producing this offense at these high watermarks of, you know, 120, 130, 140, 150? And I think that that probably doesn't happen against the Bucs. It probably does in people's minds, but I really don't think that Brooklyn will be able to get as much offense going or as much scoring against the Nets. I know, of course, that they got, you know, uh, Giannis down low, though, and, and guys like that, though. Brooke Lopez, Giannis, and stuff like that, though. But I think, though, it's going to boil down, though, probably to three-point shooting, and that Milwaukee will have to probably make their threes and hope that they can get some misses and some rebounds. But honestly, I mean, I, I'm going to have to probably go the route of a, of a uh, Isaiah-type pick. Bucks and six. That's my thought here with them clinching uh, that series at home at Pfizer Forward, uh, at Pfizer Fulman. I think, though, as well, maybe to get over that hump, though, maybe to perhaps change that narrative about Giannis and this organization. You know, you know, Milwaukee is building something great, though. Brooklyn built this overnight, though, but Milwaukee's been building this since they drafted Giannis years ago, though. I really am still high on Milwaukee. I'm going to stick with my guns here. Bucks and six is what I'm going to be going here at this rate. And James will go with the Nets and six. Again, totally understandable. And I think as well, though, James, just my only concern, though, about Brooklyn, it's not about the egos, but my concern, though, is can you keep this high-octane offense going? You know, 120 points, 130 points, 140 points per game. Can you keep that going as you said, though, on Sunday, as that difficulty level keeps getting harder and harder and harder as, in fact, this you know the playoffs go on, though. But we'll see how things go. But, again, the Nets move on after uh, beating Boston 123-109 from Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Last game, folks, for the night from the NBA, a instant classic, the Denver Nuggets and Portland Trailblazers, the series that I said was the more intriguing series in the NBA's Western Conference. The Nuggets pull out a heart-stopping finish, 147-140, Denver works not one, or uh, they work double overtime to knock off uh, the uh, Blazers despite a 55-point performance from Damian Lillard. It is all gone by the wayside as the Nuggets pull it out thanks to 38 points from Nikola Jokic and 26 points from Michael Porter Jr. and 18 points from Austin Rivers and 28 points as well off the bench for the Nuggets from Monte Morris as the Nuggets now go up three games to two after another Instant classic ball game, 147-140. Denver holds off Portland in double OT from Ball Arena in Denver, uh, Colorado tonight. Folks, like I said, though, I know I picked Portland because of Damian Lillard, though. Dame Dalla shows again that you can't bury Portland because he's got that, you know, he's got the he's got that clutch gene. You know, he's had it unlocked his whole career, though, and, and that Portland is never out of a ball game. 
as long as Damian Lillard is shooting the ball well. And again, for him, 55 points, 12 for 17 from beyond the arc. Holy cow. Seven, uh, 17 of 24. And oh, by the way, 52 minutes played, a mile above sea level. That's what we also forget here, folks, is that this game was played in Denver, and Dame played nearly an hour of game time at the elevation of 5,286 feet above sea level at Ball Arena. But again, though, folks, Denver, I think, won this game mainly because they took the Callum McClurg approach and they fed the big guy inside. They didn't settle for the, for the jump shots or for the bad shots or four but threes, though. Yeah, they did. In fact, uh, they shot, though, uh, just over 45% from the uh, uh, from the uh, from the uh, three point line though but they pounded the ball inside and again we had a great battle again between Josef Nurkic and Nikola Jokic 38 for uh, for uh, Jokic and uh, 13 for Nurkic in this ball game but again folks like I said though Portland I think though can at least grab one more game of going back home though but again you again if you're a basketball fan you can never count out the Blazers because of Damian Lillard. And I know that people, you know, uh, you know, I I thoroughly enjoy love uh, Lillard watching uh, watching him play because he keeps you intrigued to watch because okay, what's he going to do this time? What's going to do this time? And with 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 how many clutch shots that he's hit in his career? I mean, I want to see, you know, I want to see Portland just, you know, keep keep going like I said the folks. This is easily the best and most competitive series right now in the NBA's Western Conference by leaps and bounds of the imagination because, again, two great teams. And, again, you know, with and having the Dame Dalla effect on standby, I mean, that is beyond insane at this rate. Uh, some thoughts real quick here. Uh, Christian wants to uh, double the ante. Bucks in four. I'll take Milwaukee in general, but Bucks in four? I mean, Christian, okay. I mean, that's them winning both games in – uh, Brooklyn then winning both games at at um at the four one form I believe is what they call it uh, as well at Pfizer form in Milwaukee. James also says Portland should easily be leading the series, but that's why you play the games. And Christy Wilson says never count out the Blazers. Thank you K Dub for that because again, like I said though, can't count out Damian Lillard, and again you can't count out uh, that ball club in the <clears throat> in uh, the uh, Portland Trailblazers. Uh, with that, folks, in the NHL, death taxes and the Toronto Maple Leafs once again exiting in the first round of the postseason. The Toronto Maple Leafs, as of yesterday, folks, are once again flopped in the postseason again as the Leafs blew a 3-1 lead and dropped a 3-1 game in Game 7 to the longtime rival Montreal Canadiens on Monday on home ice in their first playoff meeting between the rivals in 42 seasons. Leafs head coach uh, Sheldon Keefe said it's really hard to put into words. We are we're obviously devastated, disappointed. Uh, we were uh, we felt we were capable of a lot more, not just tonight, but in the whole series. Close quote. Folks, the numbers are staggering. The Maple Leafs haven't won a playoff series since 2004 and have lost eight straight and, and, and they have eight straight losses in series clinching games. And they've lost a winner take all game in four consecutive postseasons. They've lost three straight Game 7s, and a Game 5 in the qualifying round against the Columbus Blue Jackets last season. More importantly, the Leafs remain without a Stanley Cup since 1967. The Leafs were considered to be a legitimate uh, contender for the Cup this season after finishing with, with, uh, after finishing 
with 77 points atop the North Division, 18 more than Montreal, the heavy underdog that ended their season on Monday night. Toronto D-man Morgan Riley said the expectation within the room was high. The goals are higher than what we achieved this year. It makes the disappointment that much worse. We felt it. We realized we let the a, a opportunity slip away. That's unacceptable by our standards, and that makes the loss a lot worse than anything we've had to deal with before, close quote. You know, folks, the 3-1 jokes are usually for the NBA. But, folks, Stephen A. Smith, on his program on ESPN Plus, said it right sadly tonight. The Maple Leafs are the Dallas Cowboys of the NHL. You know, here's a team who every year believes, you know, this is our year for the Stanley Cup championship. And the Leafs have just, like the story said, though, from ESPN.com, flop flat on their face. If it's not the Leafs flopping, it's the Canadiens flopping. And all the props go to the Canadians who are down and out. And fans wanted to bury Carey Price, the goalie, earlier in the series, though. And Carey Price went out there and shut down this high-octane, lethal offense with Mitch Marner and William Nylander and Austin Matthews. And here the Leafs just, again, can't get the job done in a Game 7. And I also, I think, folks feel bad for Joe Thornton, you know, one of the good guys out there in the NHL who's played with Boston, he's played with the Sharks, played with the Leafs, and he solely goes to the Leafs just to get a chance to win a championship. And the poor guy's out in Game 7. I do think, though, folks, that sadly for the Leafs, though, I don't want to put this whole burden on, on, on William Nylander, on Austin Matthews. Let's also forget, though, this may be an excuse, but, I'm, I'm, but I don't care. They had to play this whole series, this virtuous entire series, without John Tavares. John Tavares was kneed in the back of the head by Corey Perry in a freak accident in Game 1. Uh, it was a freak collision that happened, and Tavares, got, and Tavares had to be stretched off the ice. That right there, sadly for me, may have been what happened, or where, in fact, like the team morale kind of dropped. Seeing the team captain get hurt, stretched off the ice, and stuff like that. And I, again, I just, I don't know though about if that play right there, if that doesn't happen, do the Leafs close up the series? Do they at least, you know, win the game and move on? I mean, you know, it's hard to kind of fathom or at least say though, that it would be like an issue like that. But I think sometimes though, folks, that there's usually a play though, this is talked a lot, this is talked a lot about in baseball. There's usually a play that saves a no-hitter or a perfect game. There was also a play that usually ruins that, that moment. For me, it seems like, though, that the Maple Leafs team morale, despite going up 3-1, though, a part of that team morale kind of was lost because of Tavares going down with that injury. And we hope and pray for the best for, uh, for the team captain. But again, quote-unquote, zero excuses as the Leafs cap first-round collapse as they were beat on Monday by the Canadiens. 3-1 after blowing a 3-1 lead. And the uh, Montreal Canadiens are, are uh, moving on to round two to face the Winnipeg Jets in the second round of the NHL's Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, James writes in to say uh, the Maple Leafs still haven't won it all since 64, I believe. 67 was the last time they have not was when they last won the Stanley Cup. Christian writes in, it wasn't going to matter who came out of the Canadian division. They are going to get crushed. So great to see the Leafs earn their golf clubs early. Uh uh, Christian, is Colorado the favorite? I think they really are, honestly, at this rate. We'll get to more about that in just a moment. 
And Chrissy says, sorry, Cal and Stephen A., but the Leafs did not want to tell us in 67. The Cowboys have not won since 95, so the comparison is very unfair, in my opinion. Uh, your beef is with, is with Stephen A., not with me. I just reiterate what he said, though. But I believe it's a fair comparison, though, in a way. Because, you know, here, Christy, these teams are, like, known as being the dynasties of, of their sports. And not you, Christy, but you know how Cowboy fans are. Oh, my gosh, this is the year. How about them Cowboys? The Leafs are the same exact way, sadly. You know, every year, oh, yeah, this is the year. We got Matthews. We got this guy. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. And they always find a way to, to bomb out in, in year one. So I think it's a fair comparison on a level. But I still think, though, that in my mind, though, it's more of a uh, more of a comparison, I think, that's Maybe justify, but I think, though, that's Stephen A's world for you. So, you know, do what you want to do with that as well. Uh, also, folks, uh, the other news I wanted to get to in the NHL tonight here uh, involving the uh, Avalanche in their game two, uh, in their game two uh, coming up on uh, Wednesday. But uh, a very sketchy si uh, situation broke out, though, on uh, in the first game between the uh, Knights and the Avalanche. But Vegas Golden Knights forward Ryan Reeves has been popped and suspended two games for roughing and unsportsmanlike conduct against Ryan Graves of the Avalanche. The incident occurred during the 7-1 victory for Colorado in Game 1 of their second-round series on Sunday and also prompted a hearing from the league's player safety department on Monday. Reeves drew a match penalty for attempting to injure an opponent, which was Ryan Graves at 8.04 of the period, in a skirmish-filled game. Prior to the announcement of the suspension, Vegas' head coach Peter DeBoer in his off-day uh, media, uh, media availability Stuck up for Ryan Reeves, who avoided punishment for a hit from behind in Game 7 uh, in their victory over the Wild when he sent Ryan Sutter's face into the goalpost. The Avalanche, though, were not thrilled uh, with the play on Graves, who was thrown to the ice as his helmet rolled away. Graves stayed down as trainers tended to him while skirmishes were going on around him. Avalanche head coach Jared Bednar said that Graves is down in a vulnerable position and he just stays on top of him and obviously hits him. So I don't, I didn't like the play, but DeBoer knows this player. I guess I don't think that Reeves is out there trying to injure people on purpose. He just get, uh, he, uh, he's just got a ruggedness to his game. In that situation, I, uh, in that situation in the game, I just didn't like it that much. Close quote. Same went though for, or same went though for Avalanche captain Gabriel Landeskog, who quipped uh, after Sunday's route by saying that Reeves is on a mission to hurt somebody in the third, and that's what he gets or what he goes out and he does. Close quote. The Knights were, uh, weren't pleased uh, earlier with a chest-high hit by Graves delivered on center Matthias uh, Janmark near the boards in the third in the second period, and Janmark did not return him to Boer, had no update on Monday. The lopsided affair, though, of Game 1 was, was a surprise given that the two teams were so evenly matched in the regular season. They tied for the most points in the league, but the Avalanche earned the President's Trophy, along with home ice advantage throughout the postseason by virtue of a tiebreaker for having the most regulation victories. Fatigue, though, may have been a factor. The Golden Knights had one day off following a grueling first-round matchup with Minnesota, while the Avalanche had nearly a week off after a first-round sweep of the St. Louis Blues. You know, folks, I know that people mainly watch hockey because of the fighting nature, though. But, folks, in perspective here, Ryan Reeves got nine minutes in penalties tacked on to his team for his stupid play. And I get, though, that enforcers are kind of in a way like pitchers throwing complete games that they're slowly dying a slow death, though. But Ryan Reeves, I, you know, I, I like the guy a bit. But this sort of stuff, though, is what the NHL is trying to crack down on is when you hear about the intent to injure. And 
the worst part about that whole thing, though, is that this was, you know, going on in a vulnerable situation with Ryan Graves laying on the ice, though, and, and, and you have all these other clusters of fights breaking out literally right on top of Reeves and Graves kind of, you know, doing their, you know, doing their, you know, doing their thing basically at this rate. But I do think, though, that the suspension's got to be longer. I think that if there, especially if there's an intent to injure, it's got to be more than two games. I know that a player for the Avalanche, I believe, got an eight-game suspension for a cross-check. Why is there a double standard when it comes to high sticks, cross-checks, or even a situation like this, though? Why is there a double standard between, you know, one guy getting an eight-game suspension for a cross-check, but a guy who literally went out there and tried to injure somebody and racked up nine minutes in penalties? Why two games? Where's the double standard? Why is there not a set rule or set rules in place that go by the severity of the incident. I, you know, cross-checking should be, I, I look at it this way, cross-checking should be at least two games, or it should be, there needs to be set number of games of suspension for certain ruthless and over-aggressive actions, like cross-checking, high-sticking, spearing, instigation, and match penalties have to also be dealt with in a very different way, though, as well, though. But I think that the suspension for me is not enough. It should be the remainder of the round, honestly, because I think, though, the last thing that you want to see happen here, folks, I know it's the postseason, but the last thing that you want to see happen, though, is more guys get hurt, more guys start, you know, yapping, more guys start throwing down, more, you know, brawls start breaking out. I know it's the postseason, folks. Believe me, I know it's the postseason. But you don't want to see more guys on both these clubs, you know, both these teams are so evenly matched, as it was said, though, in the article via ESPN.com. But you don't want it, though, to where the star players like a Mark Stone, like a uh, Max Pacioretty, a Shea Theodore, a Landeskog, a McKinnon, a Ratnan. You don't want to see these star guys get hurt by a Ryan Reeves or a tough guy for Colorado where it gets, you know, blown out of proportion and more stuff hits the fan. But again, folks, give us your thoughts as time goes on here at this rate. Uh, Christy Feather chimes and she says, Callan, I tend to have low expectations for the Cowboys anyway, because I just don't, uh, because I just don't, uh, don't uh, hope to get my hopes up at this rate. Christian says, Cal, the abs are good though, but still likes Tampa Bay, who is now up two games to none on Carolina after squeaking one out at PNC Arena tonight. And Christy also says, why Vegas? Why? Face palm emoji. But again, folks, Ryan Reeves of the Golden Knights of the NHL again popped for a two-game suspension following his actions of intent to injure Ryan Graves in game one, which also included the uh, Knights having nine minutes of penalty time to kill and a match penalty also assessed on that play as well to uh, to, um, uh, to Ryan Reeves in that process uh, at this rate. Uh, with that, folks, we have time for one final story. It's now time for tonight's Last Call. Last Call. Last Call time here, folks. That final story for the night is actually from the WNBA today. And uh, also some very great news involving the National Basketball Association. And that is uh, C the uh, Seattle Storm have named a new head coach after a very uh, – Interesting, uh, or not interesting, but a, a very sudden retirement of longtime uh, women's basketball head coach uh, Dan Hughes. Uh, but Noel Quinn, a longtime WNBA player, and um, is now uh, taking over the helm of the Seattle Storm 
as uh, Noel has become the first black head coach in Storm history. And uh, takes over again for Dan Hughes, who again retired um, during the course of the season. She told reporters on Monday that she is super honored to take over the defending WNBA champions uh, head coaching position, who have the league's best record right now of 5-1 and one after Dan Hughes announced his uh, retirement on Sunday. Just three years ago, Quinn played for the Storm that won the title in 2019. She retired following a 12-year uh, career to join the coaching staff in 2019 and quickly demonstrated the to the organization the potential to become the team's head coach. Legendary Storm point guard Sue Bird, a four-time champ who played with Quinn for parts of four years, described Noel as, uh, as more than ready to take over the new role. Quinn is also breaking ground as the first black coach in the uh, Storm franchise history and third former player to serve as the team as a team's head coach, joining Sandy Brondello in Phoenix and Vicky Johnson in Dallas. To Quinn, who grew up uh, grew up watching the league as a season ticket holder for the LA Sparks, that representation is crucial in her mind. Noel was asked about that. She said, "It's one thing to have goals, but it's another to see someone who looks like you doing what you aspire to do." I don't take this role lightly. I understand I have an uh, have a ability. And responsibility to uh, be a role model in the way, uh, in that way, and I welcome it. It's I think it's more important for black uh, young black girls to see women of color, black women in leadership roles, because you understand you can be more than just a basketball player. You can be a coach, a GM. You can even own a team. Close quote. As as is the case right now uh, with uh, Renee Montgomery, uh, who is now the uh, principal owner right now of the Atlanta Dream. Folks, I thoroughly have enjoyed Noelle Quinn and watching her career. Uh, when she played in LA and again playing in Seattle, and was uh, you know kind of, you know at the back end of her career, yeah, but was always great though, and always delivered in big situations or would you know be that floor general and do stuff like that though. And I think though, folks, that the WNBA teams this year have done a phenomenal job though for players who may have retired, like for example Simone Augustus. They have brought them on board though as the team's head coaches or as coaches, I should say. And that, folks, that, you know, bringing that experience, though, of like a Simone Augustus or a Noel Quinn into the fray is you can't put a price tag on having a player who was on the floor literally last season or recently and put that on the bench and it works right away. I know, I know the Sparks tried that when they canned Carol Ross in 2015, I believe, and uh, had Penny Toller, the former GM, become the head coach for a bit. It gives, you know, it kind of gives you a different perspective, though, about how, in fact, things do, in fact, go. And I do, in fact, let Noelle Quinn, especially with, her, especially with her retiring pretty recently, that experience can be very, very vital for a team like the uh, Storm, though. Again, Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart, though, and then they're so loaded, probably, though, again, going for another uh, WNBA title this upcoming season. But again, uh, congratulations to Noelle Quinn, again, named uh, the new head coach of the Seattle Storm. Uh, as of Sunday, again, after Dan Hughes announcing his uh, uh, his uh, immediate retirement from coaching. Christy Wilson jumps in to say, I hope she does well as the coach of the Storm. I wish her all the best. He did, in fact, win the night over Indiana handily from the Angel of the Winds uh, Arena in Everett, Washington. With that, folks, we'll now step away and head on and head on into tonight's final thought. Wrapping things up here, folks, on this first episode of the uh, Sports Lounge back after our, after, our, after our hiatus break. Again, folks, thanks for hanging out here for the last hour and a half. A major thank you to Isaiah LeYoung, Christy Wilson, Casey King, James Gonzalez, Adam Barber, and Christian Ilton for all you guys tuning in tonight. Again, we'll do this all over again next Tuesday. 
But again, folks, as a reminder, uh, Haley Skimura, the US, from the USA Women's National Hockey Team, will join the Sports Lounge in two weeks' time on June 15th at 8 o'clock p.m. right here inside of the MI6 Sports Network. Should be a great interview talking to Haley, getting uh, getting her thoughts about uh, Team USA, getting her thoughts about the uh, upcoming IIHF World Championship Tournament being held in August. Uh, also uh, talk about her dad, Peter Skimura, playing for the uh, Capitals way back in the day. And also talk about how, in fact, though, that the uh, PWHPA, the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association, is trying their best to get a, a unified league that will pay uh, the players um, livable wages and salary. We'll get all that from Haley, folks, in two weeks' time again. So, again, uh, tell your friends. And if you're a hockey fan, you're a casual hockey fan, uh, or if you're a casual sports fan want to hear some more about uh, women in sports, uh, this is your place to come again here. Uh, but once more, everybody, Haley Skamura, USA Women's National Hockey Team, joining us two weeks' time on June 15th at 8 o'clock Pacific time right here inside of the MI6 Sports Network. But again, folks, a major shout-out and thanks again to all of you folks for watching us here tonight. With that in mind, everybody, we'll see you back here again next Tuesday as, in fact, we come back here for the Sports Lounge again next Tuesday at 8 o'clock in the evening, folks. But, but, Sally, we are officially closed until next week, folks. Till then, have a good night and bye-bye. <laughs>